Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're going to be talking about the day's headlines on the couch. I'm going to be putting today's headlines on my couch and analyzing them until we can't squeeze any more psychoanalytic interpretations out of them. But there's a lot of good stuff uh, in the headlines this week, these last few weeks, uh, which is so cool because, um, I mean, not that some of these things are, are, uh, are all good things, you know, are all, I mean, I'm going to be talking, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to be talking about. The Oscars, there's still a lot of fun to talk about the Oscars, still a lot of stuff that's worth talking about and analyzing and rolling over in one's mouth. And then I'm going to be talking about Jesse Smollett and that whole fiasco. And then R. Kelly and Patrick Frazee, who is the man in Colorado who is on trial for, or will be soon on trial, for the murder of his girlfriend, Casey, Kelsey. And um, so, even though some of these things are, you know, rather um, criminal, <laughs> actually all of those, Justice Millett, R. Kelly, and Patrick Frazee, those are all people who are um, up for uh, trial, um, but still, it, it, I guess you could say these things are forbidden pleasures that we um, kind of like to uh, look at them again and again and try to find new angles. And of course, as a psychiatrist, I try to analyze, and as a forensic psychiatrist, I try to analyze uh, all of these things. But now first, let's talk about the Oscars, because that that's still a lot of fun. Um, nobody got killed. <laughs> um, and a lot of stuff to talk about. First of all, um, the big deal before, uh, before the actual telecast was that there was no host because uh, they, kept, they offered the host to various people, the host job, and um, nobody seemed to want to take it. And, well, first the first host uh, got you know, criticized and he, did, he backed off and then, then other people didn't want to take it. Well... I think that's the best thing that ever happened to the Oscars because, in fact, um, this particular show was more lively and more full of surprises and really uh, moments, long-lasting moments that we want to keep talking about than um, any others in recent memory. And what's so cool is that it's kind of like what it reminded me of was like when a teacher goes out of the room or Lee or a drama teacher um, can't continue being the director of a play uh, in school or, uh, or in camp. You know, kids, I'm talking about like a teacher or a camp counselor or a parent or a Girl Scout leader, something like that. Someone who's supposed to be a leader of kids um, gets taken out for some reason. You know, they get sick or whatever. And the kids are left to their own devices to try to make whatever it is succeed. And they end up really putting all of their heart and soul into whatever it is and making it better than it would have been if it had gone along the same way it was supposed to with some grown-up leading it. 
And that is what happened with the Oscars. And one of the best examples of this is the opening. Instead of a host um, doing some kind of comedic opening and trying to make it exciting and interesting and that doesn't always work, um, they had, uh, and I'm, I'm trusting that probably many of you who are listening now watched it, so you're going to know some of the things or know of some of the things that I'm going to be talking about, but you're going to hear my slant, my, my take on it. So... Uh, you may have seen the opening, which was Adam Lambert with Queen. First of all, I am madly in love with Adam Lambert uh, ever since, you know, it shows that you don't have to win American Idol to still have an amazing career uh, if you work at it. I mean, most of American Idol non-winners have kind of faded into obscurity, but if you... Um, work at it and use that, you know, you're being runner-up to your advantage, um, you can have an amazing career, as we have just seen in Adam Lambert opening the Oscars with Queen. Um, they did, they chose their, the two songs that they did uh, really brilliantly. The first one was We Will Rock You. And, you know, obviously that was uh, the intention. We will rock you. We will, this Oscar show is going to rock you, you know, get everybody all excited. And then the second one, we are the champions. And, of course, everyone loved that because all the people sitting in that room like to believe that they are the champions of the world, basically. Um, and so they, it was really well chosen and, of course, well done, well sung and well played and, um, and it was just fabulous. And then, of course, there was a picture of Freddie Mercury, and all of this relates to one of the pictures nominated for Best Picture and for a lot of other um, awards, Oscars, uh, and that is Bohemian Rhapsody, which, by the way, I saw, and um, it is amazing. If you have not seen Bohemian Rhapsody, you have got to go out and see it. A lot of these movies uh, that may have been out of movie theaters you know, because of when they originally opened, are now going to have a resurgence. You know, you will be able to find them um, probably wherever you live in a movie theater or certainly online um, in some online uh, uh, site that plays movies <laughs> um, or on a television station that plays movies. So... Um, that was that was an arousing opening. There was more splash, more drama, more energy, and more heart in this opening um, than any other with any any previous host in the past. Um, when before we get into the actual awards, uh, I I was tweeting away, <laughs> and one of my tweets talked about how I hope that there aren't going to be political references during the Oscars. That always spoils it. When people get up there, and of course, you know, we know the kinds of things they usually say, and it just kind of takes away whatever they say. It, you know, even if it was for, usually it's, it's for um, the Democratic Party, but even if it was for the Republican Party, just anybody saying anything political really takes away from the whole... It, it makes a downer. I mean, yes, oh, yes, of course, a lot of times the audience erupts in wild applause because they agree with the political statement, but really it takes away from what the night is supposed to be, which is honoring people in the movie industry 
uh, all aspects of the movie industry, who have worked really hard in the past year and have their um, products, their movies, up for awards, or their friends are up for awards. It's not really about uh, something serious that is usually brought about, you know, in these comments. And it's just kind of a, a low, again, even though people clap right, right away because they agree with what the person says, um, it takes away from the, from the general theme of the, of the night and the, and the upbeat nature of the night because all these political remarks are criticisms. Fortunately, this Oscar telecast had only two such political statements, and I was really thrilled about that. Um, and they were, they were kind of relatively minor compared to some people in the past who have gone on and on in their acceptance speeches. Um, there was one early on in the telecast where um, one woman, and I don't recall who, said, um, Mexico will not pay for the wall. It was in part of a comedic routine. There were three women, and I don't really remember which one said that particular line, but it was, uh, yes, did people laugh? Yes, but um, it really was not necessary. And then later on, much later in the telecast, Spike Lee um, made a, he was won an award, and he um, made remarks about, uh, let's do the right thing, which is, of course, a reference to his previous movie, which did not uh, win an Oscar. He felt snubbed. It was nominated, but he felt snubbed um, that he didn't receive an Oscar for that movie from years ago. And um, he said, let's do the right thing. Uh, vote in 2020, vote the right way, basically. Do the right, let's do the right thing. And so, um, you know, that was another kind of uh, remark. But aside from that, <laughs> uh, there were so many wonderful things, and I'm going to chat about some of them. Uh, one, one of the things, oh, while we're talking about not-so-wonderful things, I will talk about the, uh, the Best Picture Award. And that went to um, Green Book, as you may well know. I did not see Green Book. I've seen lots of trailers for it. Uh, it may be a fine movie, but uh, compared to Bohemian Rhapsody and um, even, I mean, you know, t to tell you the truth this year because of uh, my being involved in other things like the Malibu Fire, I did not get to see as many movies as I usually do. So I have only seen, of the movies that were nominated, I have only seen Bohemian Rhapsody and The Favorite. And, of course, I want to see A Star is Born, and I guess that's, that's the only one of the nominees for Best Picture that I really left, that I really want to see. Um, so, but from all the uh, controversy about it, the Green Book, it, just was, it was just a small relatively small movie. It's not best picture, uh, a best picture standing. And um, now, when you compare it to big movies like Bohemian Rhapsody and The Favorite, it just, it just kind of, not that you have to have a big production with all kinds of costumes and sets and be in foreign places and all that kind of stuff to, to win uh, best picture. It can be a very small movie with a very important topic, 
But you know, there's from all the controversy about Green Book, some people saying that uh, that it won because it was showing a white man being a savior to a black man. I mean, it still so so not everybody even not the it. it it was just, not, again, not that you can't have a controversial movie win Best Picture, but I was not impressed, let's put it that way, by all the trailers that I have seen about Green Book, and I've seen a lot, I have not been impressed. Now, The Favorite, um, when I saw trailers of The Favorite, that I said to myself, oh, I have to see that movie. I mean, I love anything British. But I said to myself, um, oh, God, I have to see that. I have to, somehow I have to manage to get to the movie theaters, and I have to see that movie. Well, I have to tell you, except for uh, the beautiful costumes and the beautiful cinematography and all of that, um, yes, it was a very big movie, uh, I, was, I was disappointed in the premise and in the story. And um, so that kind of, I did not leave the theater being thrilled with that either, although, as I'll mention later, um, the woman who won uh, Best Actress for that movie certainly deserved it. That was Olivia Coleman. Um, and I must say, she did do an amazing job in that film, so I will give her that. Um, let's see. Um, for just going down my notes, I was tweeting away and making notes. Uh, oh, <laughs> um, one of the things that was a, a really um, sweet moment in the Oscars was Melissa McCarthy, who came out to give the uh, Oscar for Best Costume Design. And she came out in this amazing dress, which relates to, actually, the picture of the favorite. It's a dress with rabbits, toy, little stuffed rabbits all over her dress. And she had like a little puppet rabbit on her hand. And so it was kind of funny when she was trying to open the envelope, um, the rabbit was opening the envelope, and the rabbit was kind of having a hard time doing that because it was a stuffed rabbit that she was um, trying to manipulate as a puppet. And it was a little hard for a, a, a fuzzy, <laughs> furry, stuffed rabbit to open one of those envelopes. But it was really an amazing dress. It was really adorable and really funny. Um, okay. Let's see. Um, talking about the, the winners, or well, talking about, you know, one of the things that also can be annoying with um, Oscar telecasts is when people come up there and they don't have their speech when they win, they don't have their speech prepared. And they come up there and they think it's really cute to sort of flounder around and, um, oh, I'm so nervous. I mean, yes, I'm sure they are very nervous, uh, not only in front of the whole entertainment industry, but knowing that this is being broadcast internationally and it's the whole world. Of course you're going to be nervous. But that doesn't excuse you from preparing a speech ahead of time and uh, memorizing it or at least having some idea of what you want to say. And for the most part, there were the only people who came up and who were really ridiculously bad were the makeup and hair people from Vice. They won the Oscar for makeup and hair. And 
it, you know, it was so bad. It was almost like a comedy routine. Like, were they purposely trying to be that bad um, to, to be funny? But no, they weren't. They were just they not unprepared. Um, what else can I say? Now, Rami Malek, he made a wonderful, wonderful, he won for Best Actor for Bohemian Rhapsody. Can you tell I'm a little prejudiced towards Bohemian Rhapsody? Um, he uh, made a wonderful speech very heartfelt, really making himself vulnerable, talking about his own uh, childhood and, and, you know, being an immigrant and, and, um, uh, or coming from immigrant parents, family. And uh, it, it was just, it, there were just all kinds of touches in there that were very personal and intimate. And um, it didn't seem like it was necessarily... Um, Memorized, although he is an actor, <laughs> he could make it seem not memorized. But it really seemed real and authentic, and very, very, again, making himself very vulnerable because of the uh, intimacy of the things that he talked about. And it was really wonderful. And similarly, the woman who I was just talking about, Olivia Coleman, who won for Best Actress for The Favorite, her speech, even though hers was a little less, you know, hers, hers was a little more disjointed. It certainly was not. <laughs> memorized um, and probably not all that much prepared, but she was able to be brilliant nonetheless and funny and heartfelt. And so she did a great speech as well. Um, now, when, oh, and also, oh, yes, also another, these are the three top speeches, Rami Malek, uh, Olivia Coleman, and the third one also top was, um, a Star is Born, Lady Gaga. She won for the, uh, she won Best Song for Shallow from the movie A Star is Born, and she gave an incredibly um, heartfelt, warm, authentic speech um, that was just beautiful, encouraging everyone to never let go of their dreams because, you know, her story is one of someone who had to overcome a lot of obstacles and never gave up on her dream and look where she is now. Well, talking about Lady Gaga, when we come back, I have a wonderful um, uh, treat for you. Analyzing um, Lady Gaga and Bradley Bradley Cooper and his current girlfriend, maybe soon to be not girlfriend, uh, Irena. And that is one of the, their, that triangle is one of the most talked about things from the Oscars, even more than some of the winners. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline 
And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today, we're, I'm putting the uh, headlines of the day on my couch and analyzing them. We've been talking about the Oscars, and I saved the best tidbit about the Oscars for last. And that is the triangle that everyone, everyone perceived, um, meaning uh, the... Triangle between Bradley Cooper, Lady Gaga, and Irena. Um, Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga, just to make sure that you all are aware of this, starred in A Star Is Born, and um, you know they were love. They were these stars. They were the love uh, interests <laughs> of each other, and uh, it's a remake of this picture that has been remade before, and. Um, They have done an amazing, uh, they've done, since the movie came out, they've done, well, before even the movie came out and after, and through the Oscars, and probably they will continue, to do a lot, a lot of promotion. I've seen a number of interviews of the two of them, and they just, um, it's unmistakable that they are incredibly attracted to each other. Um, I will. I will not comment on whether or not they have uh, acted on this attraction. There are varying opinions about that, um, but or consummated their attraction, I guess I should say. Um, but what was fascinating to watch at the Oscars was that uh, Brad's girlfriend, with whom he has a baby. Um, Irena uh, Sheik, not quite sure how you pronounce her last name, but let's just, let's just call her Irena. Um, she was sitting in between Bradley and Lady Gaga, and it was such a weird uh, placement. It was as if she was a tense chaperone who was purposely sitting between them to prevent them from having any public displays of affection. I mean, it was almost as though she expected them to start having, making love right there in the front row of the Oscars, and she had to prevent this by sitting between them. 
it was to say it was awkward is is an amazing understatement. Um, for some reason, I didn't feel sorry for her. I must admit, uh, because it, and it was so obvious that, and has been so obvious for a very long time, and people have commented on it. The chemistry. Um, you know, the sexual attraction, perhaps the love between Bradley and Lady Gaga. And this experience, they talk about how this experience of making the movie was just a life-changing experience and that the each other, they couldn't have done it without the other, that the, they were the perfect people to be in this movie together to, to get the best out of each one of them and so on. And... As part of the entertainment in the Oscars, and this is, you know, really was, um, these were highlights too. They had these numbers, you know, songs and so on. And as part of the entertainment, um, Bradley and Lady Gaga sang uh, the song from the movie, uh, uh, A Star is Born, called Shallow, the song that won for best song. And um, they, <laughs> it was one uh, love fest from the time that they got on the stage until the time that they got off and perhaps uh, longer. It was just so, um, you know, there have been things on Twitter where people have written they were, I'll use the polite term, they were making love with their eyes through the whole thing. And it was absolutely true. And it's not just in that song. That has been the way they've been towards each other in interviews and holding hands walking down the aisle and just all over the place. And um, apparently um, Bradley and Irena have been snapped, have been, have been photographed, um, not looking very happy. Like there are reports about how uh, they were at a restaurant and they, were look, they weren't really talking to each other, and they were looking miserable. I mean, you know, unless Irena is um, in major denial, she has got to have seen some of these interviews. She has got to have seen Bradley and Lady Gaga together some of the time. You know, and, and she, so she has got to have seen what everybody else in the world saw, um, the chemistry between the two of them. Now... There are some people on social media saying, well, you know, she, she's not worried. She's um, Lady Gaga's BFF. She stood up and clapped when they did this song. Yeah, she clapped. Well, what was she supposed to do? You know, run up there and slap Bradley in the face? I mean, she was just pretending that it didn't bother her when she hugged Lady Gaga, for example, you know, afterwards and all that. She's, she's, you know, she's doing an acting job of her own and pretending that nothing is wrong. But what I see this, you know, remember, I wrote the books, the two relationship books, um, Bad Boys, Why We Love Them, How to Live With Them, and When to Leave Them, and Bad Girls, Why Men Love Them, and How Good Girls Can Learn Their Secrets. I call Irena a bad girl. Um, she trapped Bradley. She is more shallow than Lady Gaga. And yes, it's unfortunate and part of her trapping him that they have a baby together. But I think that Bradley, you know, was attracted. And this is what happens. This is why the book is Bad Girls, Why Men Love Them, and How Good Girls Can Learn Their Secrets. Because the secret of a bad girl, that for I talk about 12 different types of the bad boys and of the bad girls. Um, and the secret 
to the bad girls how they get these guys is because they make the man feel like the biggest stud on the planet. And so, and it's just in general terms, um, men typically do go through a time, um, sometimes it's just when they're teenagers, but it could be, you know, earlier in their life, who doesn't want a, a supermodel? And Irena is a supermodel. And who, so, you know, of course, that was like a, an adolescent dream, in a way, of Brad's to have a supermodel. Can't blame him for that, but, <laughs> um, although maybe he should have thought longer or waited longer before marrying her, but in any case, um, but I think he is now, has now matured, and he has seen how much um, deeper he can have a love, a relationship, that how deep his relationship was with Lady Gaga as compared to his relationship with Arena. So Lady Gaga is kind of the good girl. I mean, not that, you know, yes, in a lot of ways, I mean, she was, in fact, um, you know, with all her costumes and various songs and things, you could, you know, you could say that she's, she was a bad girl in some ways, too. But in the, I'm just talking about in this context, in this triangle, uh, Irena is the bad girl and Lady Gaga is the good girl. Lady Gaga, you know, she's very pretty, but um, she is not a supermodel. And yet, this is what happens when guys, you know, mature and they realize that, okay, the supermodel looked good on my arm as arm candy, but actually I would like something deeper and more fulfilling than that. And I think that is what has happened here. And Bradley is in a conundrum, <laughs> in, a, in a quandary, uh, where he has to figure out whether he wants to leave Irena for Lady Gaga. And, um, you know, he has, of course, he'll feel guilty about leaving the baby. But um, what is he going to do? And I have a feeling that maybe not right away, maybe right away, I don't know. But I have a feeling that at some point he is not going to be able to resist spending more time or continuing to spend a lot of time with Lady Gaga. And that eventually Irena is going to get pissed off and they're going to have more fights and he is going to be with Lady Gaga. Of course, if they, um, if they go forward with other, another project where it's the two of them, that gives them the excuse for why they have to be together. If they do another movie together, that's their excuse for spending time together, at least. So this will, um, you know, also imagine, you know, um, imagine how Irena feels, uh, not only being there at the Oscars where all of this was going on, but seeing all the social media and all the television interviews and radio interviews and all of that where people are saying you know, Mag, look at the chemistry. Can you, you know, and all this stuff about uh, uh, what they were doing with their eyes and all of that. I mean, that has to hurt. And I, I'm, I'm sorry for that. But, um, but I also don't think that Bradley should stay in that relationship just because, I mean, they're not even married, which is kind of interesting. If he was so sure that he wanted to be with Irena for the rest of his life, um, he would have married her. Of course, it's always nice if people wait to have kids before they are married. I know that's kind of an old-fashioned way of thinking, but um, that is the way it is best for the kids because there's at least more of a chance that the parents will stay together 
although it's not guaranteed because of all the high divorce rate, that's not guaranteed, but it is a little, a little more of a chance. So, um, and Lady Gaga, she had an interesting, you know, while all this was going on, uh, she got engaged for a minute, and I think that that was uh, to try to try to make herself um, save herself from heartbreak because Bradley was still committed to Arena. And she didn't want to uh, sort of be the third wheel or be left out or she was perhaps trying to uh, prevent herself from doing anything to try to get in between his relationship with Arena. In any case, that engagement did not last and she is free. So tune in next week. (laughs) We're going to all have to sort of um, wait and see what happens, but it does not look good for Arena. Okay, let me go to the next uh, headline of the week, and that is Jussie Smollett. Jussie Smollett is an actor, a black actor, a gay black actor, who um, stars in the television show Empire. And um, he has been in the news because he... um, he reported that he was attacked in the street in Chicago. And he said that he was attacked by two men who were calling him racist names and um, homophobic slurs as well, and who um, put a noose on him and put some kind of liquid that he denied knowing, he denied knowing what it was, and they beat him up, is what he told the police. And he had, um, his face did look swollen, and he had, um, like, a little cut on his face, and he, um, he didn't call it in to police, he had a friend call it in, and he um, went to a doctor, or he had a doctor come to his house to see him, something. He didn't not there were actually numerous uh, inconsistencies in the story. There were stories that he went to the hospital. There were stories that his rib was were broken. Um, but then he backed off on those and said, no, that, that isn't what happened. Um, and so, so the police, uh, and before this alleged attack, there had been a letter that came to, the studio where he was filming Empire, and the letter uh, had a stick figure of a man, like a hanging man, and a gun pointed at the man, and uh, MAGA written on it, and it said, you will die, black, and then a slur, and then um, it had white powder in it, and they had to call the hazmat team turned out to be um, aspirin or um, Tylenol or something. And so, and, and, um, so then, so that happened, and it didn't really, the letter didn't get very much attention, and then it really didn't get attention until this report of an attack on him, his report of an attack through a friend. And so the police um, did a big investigation, tried to find these two men. He said uh, that they were wearing 
um, a red hat or a mag. They were wearing a red hat and saying uh, something about MAGA, and you know, he was trying to make it a whole big MAGA thing. And and of course, um, racial and um, homophobic slurs. And um, so the police, you know, went around. They were looking at all the different uh, uh, cameras, you know, um, in the street, security cameras and so on, looking at all the tapes. And they couldn't find anything, couldn't find anything. And finally, they found a picture, a video, of um, these two big black men who turned out to be Ola and Abel Ozandero. They're um, American-born, but of Nigerian descent. And coincidentally, they were in Nigeria, and they, had, they were arrested when they came back. They were arrested at the airport when they came back because the police saw them in one of these videos, and they were the only two men, apparently, or... Um, near the area. I mean, this was at, I think it was 2 a.m. It was in the middle of the night. And so there weren't a lot of people in the street. It's not that they had to uh, uh, investigate a whole bunch of people. Anyhow, in the end, these um, brothers did uh, the, the right thing, and they put out a statement, and they said, we are not racist, we are not homophobic, and we are not anti-Trump. We were born and raised in Chicago, and are American citizens. Now, what happened is that they arrested these two men, these two brothers, and put them in jail. And after uh, about 47 hours of questioning them, the brothers, when, when they weren't getting very far, the woman who was their lawyer uh, apparently went in and talked to them and told them to just tell the truth. And that is when everything fell apart. Uh, the truth that they told, according to them, was that Jesse Smollett had put them up to it. That he had paid them to perpetrate this attack. And why? That's the big question. Why did he do that? And when we come back, <laughs> I will give you some reasons why he might well have done this. My opinion, my how I've psychoanalyzed him. I mean... Uh, not he, not literally, he was not literally on my couch, but I have put him on my couch, metaphorically, and will tell you what I have found. And uh, it's very interesting and very sad, particularly since he's not, he's not, um, he's still saying that he was attacked, despite all the evidence to the contrary. So stay tuned, you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. 
Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today. So contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com. Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, putting today's headlines on my couch. We talked about the Oscars. We began talking about Jussie Smollett. And we're going to continue with uh, uh, R. Uh, R. Kelly and Patrick Frazee. And, but let's, let's continue with Jussie Smollett because his story has incredible twists and turns. Um, he, why did he do this? I mean, first of all, as I was saying before the break, he's not admitting that he did do anything. He is still claiming, despite all the evidence to the contrary, and the police are saying that they haven't even reported, you know, to the media. Uh, they haven't told the media all the evidence that they have, of course, because they, you know, they are saving that for trial. Um, but there is so much evidence, and yet he is saying, Jesse is saying, that uh, he didn't do it, that, that there really were these two men, two men. Now, why he picked two big black men from... Uh, with Nigerian heritage to claim that they uh, said racist remarks to him, shouted racist... Why would two black men shout racist remarks at him? I mean, none of this makes any sense, which kind of goes to my um, diagnosis. And I have, again, have not met him, have not talked to him. Um, but, uh, you know, just looking, I've done a lot of research into what he's been saying and so on, watching him in interviews, and it seems like he has a mixed personality disorder, borderline personality, narcissistic personality, um, probably histrionic personality, and he, he may also have substance abuse. There is a report that he um, told he, that he himself said that he used substances. And then what was more concerning, oh, and also he may be a clinical example of Trump derangement syndrome where people who are so angry, who have been so provoked uh, by the anti-Trump movement and so provoked by Trump that they develop Trump derangement syndrome, um, that could have you know, triggered some of these uh, psychiatric problems. But also, it may be something serious, like uh, the first signs of an illness like manic depressive illness, like a a manic type um, uh, or hypomanic type episode. But 
Uh, and so I think the best thing he should do is to try to go for a psychiatric defense and, and stop saying that, that he really was attacked. You know, he should admit that he made this up, admit why he made this up, and say that he's been having a hard time. And, and um, you know, maybe because he's been uh, harassed uh, by racial slurs and homophobic slurs and all of that throughout his life. Uh, but he should tell the truth. And yes, he is facing, he's going to go to trial, and he is facing um, various counts of uh, making a false report to a police officer and things like that. But he's just getting himself in deeper by continuing to protest that this really did happen. Um, Supposedly, he, there's varying reports about whether he wrote the original letter or whether it was these two brothers, because there were reports about how when the police um, uh, explored the home of the two brothers, got a, um, was, were able to get into their home and, and explored it, they found magazines, amongst other things. They found uh, magazines that had letters cut out that um, originally were reported as being the letters that were on the uh, letter, you know, I'm talking about the alphabet letters that were on the letter of the that was sent to the studio, but then it seems like now it's changed, and they're thinking that uh, Jesse wrote the letter to himself on the studio, and that he was angry that it didn't get enough attention, and so that's why he then went for some bigger drama by pretending that he was attacked. Um, he was afraid. The other theories are that he was afraid that Empire was going to cut his role, so he wanted to make himself indispensable. And so if he got attention and sympathy for this attack, he would be indispensable, or so he thought. Of course, now that's ironic because he has been suspended from Empire for the last shows of the season. So it had the opposite effect of what he wanted. Now, part of why I think that uh, this, that he's having psychiatric problems is because um, some of this was rather... Uh, impulsive in terms of not realizing that the brothers would be found and that they would implicate him. I mean, yes, they threw him under the bus when they were arrested, of course. They're not going to go to jail. Well, they did go to jail for him, but they didn't have a choice. But they're not going to get convicted of something um, that was really planned by him, that they were paid for. There's a check for $3,500 that he gave to them. And now he's trying to say that he, he that was for their um, giving him nutritional and exercise um, uh, advice and, and conditioning because of a, of a video he was going to be in. And he supposedly wanted abs, like one of the brothers had abs. Um, now, they may well have been conditioning him, you know, being their, his trainer or at least one of them, but that, you know, that doesn't mean that he also didn't um, have them attack him. They were also on the set of Empire. They were... Um, they were uh, extras, so that's how he met them. But in any case, and so when they were asked $3,500 for, you know, uh, seven weeks, I think it was, of training, isn't, didn't you think that was a lot of money? And, you know, they just kind of hemmed it hard. Now, the most interesting thing is that um, he had actually auditioned um, or was in the process of, or the day before this attack, he auditioned for a show called Take Me Out, in which a gay biracial baseball player 
uh, was attacked by a pitcher after he came out. And the team was called the New York Empires. And when Jesse, Jesse reported the slurs that were allegedly thrown at him during this attack, um, he used the same exact words that were in the play that he was, uh, that he read for and that obviously he had been reading the script before then. And also in 2007, when he had a DUI, he lied to the cops then. So lots of things are not pointing in the good direction. All right, well, we're kind of running out of time. Let me just touch on R. Kelly and Patrick Frazee. R. Kelly, um, he, is, he has been arrested, although he's now out on bail. Uh, hopefully you may have seen the Lifetime movie, which is a documentary of girls, young women, who were uh, un- underage when he got them into his sex cult. Uh, he used his influence you know, the promise of giving them a career in music or just his celebrity status, being with him. These were, you know, it was kind of like Michael Jackson where families let their little boys go with Michael Jackson because he was a big star. Well, families have let their young teenage uh, girls go with him um, because they were starstruck and the, the families were starstruck and they pretended to themselves that they that the girls weren't in any danger when in fact it's quite clear that he has been having sex with under many many underage girls who he kept in a kind of cult uh he manipulated them in a Svengali kind of way he um you know his his behavior is sociopathic he's obviously also a sex addict uh and, you know, it's not only underage girls who have fallen under his spell, which is just mind-boggling, but there is a woman who is in her 40s who just put up $100,000 uh, for his bail. He was, had a million dollars bail. He had to pay 10%. And so this woman, a Chicago suburban middle-aged woman, put up $100,000, and she described herself on the papers as his friend. I mean, really, um, he, it, it's really very sad that because of his, his celebrityhood and his, um, you know, the promise that he makes actually literally or uh, implies for what he's going to do for you if you come and have sex with him, and it, it turns a lot of these girls against their parents. Um, when their parents, some, some of the parents tried to say, rescue the girls, and the girls were just under his spell. And hopefully now he will be getting, he won't be able to fly away from this charge like he did earlier from some um, charges. Uh, last but not least, Patrick Frazee. He um, is in jail for killing Kelsey Barris. They have not found her body yet. Um, he was able to manipulate her on an online dating app to fall in love with him or think she was in love with him and um, moved to Colorado and I think uh, and have a baby with him and there's some reports that that they were arguing over custody that that's why he killed her. I think he just didn't expect that this woman would move to Colorado and where he lived and, um, you know, uh, want to have this permanent relationship with him. It was like all of a sudden uh, too, too close for comfort. But the, the real amazing, um, to the, the extent of his, just like R. Kelly, his ability to manipulate women 
um, there is a woman, Crystal Lee Kenny, who is now helping police because otherwise she would be in big trouble. Um, she is cooperating with police, and she told them that um, Patrick Frazy had asked her to kill, asked her to kill Kelsey three times. The first time she was supposed to do it by poisoning a caramel macchiato, and she went to the door of Kelsey's house. She didn't say who she was. She said she was a neighbor and she was just trying to be friendly, and she didn't put poison in it. She couldn't. Then the second time she was supposed to kill her with a metal pipe. She couldn't do that. The third time she was supposed to kill Kelsey with a bat, and she couldn't do that. At least fortunately, she she wasn't crazy enough to uh, you know, or, or madly in love enough with Patrick Frazy. To, do, to kill someone, but she did clean up the mess from his having killed Kelsey. I know, he's not, he hasn't been convicted yet. He's innocent until proven guilty, but um, he, she cleaned up the mess, all the blood and so on, and she took Kelsey's phone with her to another state so that she could then um, write from her phone, text her uh, from her phone so that people wouldn't, would think wouldn't realize that Kelsey was dead yet. They wouldn't yet realize this. So she, um, I mean, can you, it, it is just mind-boggling to me and sad that women are so desperate and so, some women are so desperate and so um, starved for love and attention that they would do these horrible things for men who are just using them, exploiting them, mean, horrible men like R. Kelly and Patrick Frazee, who are up to no good and yet are able to convince otherwise intelligent women to um, do what these men want, have sex with them, clean up murder scenes. I I mean, (laughs) ladies, (laughs) what's up? You You all need to read my first book about bad boys. And you need to have more self-esteem. I mean, what's really up is that women are growing up in homes where they are not loved enough by their daddies. And there are too many fatherless homes, and they are not getting this kind of love and self-worth from their daddies. And that is what makes them vulnerable to all of these bad men that they meet later on. Well, thank you for listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.